Uh, we have been in a message series, and I'm gonna wrap this message series up today called Worship More Than a Song. And um, I'm gonna do something a little bit uh, different today. I'm actually, uh, I had two parts left in this sermon series that I had written out. And so what I'm gonna do, because I'm, I'm ready to move on from this subject, just to be honest with you, and it's, I think it's time to move on. And, and so what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna do two different messages this morning, one in the 9 a.m. and one in the 11 a.m. Today we're gonna continue on. We've been looking at the nine pathways, which is the more than a song part, and so I'm gonna get to that in just a moment. But I'm gonna ask you um, to do a couple of things uh, for me uh, today and throughout this week. The staff and I are going to be leaving um, tomorrow evening, and then, so Monday night, and then on most of Tuesday, we're gonna do um, a staff intensive where we're gonna be doing some planning and some, some praying and some thinking together. And um, here's our goal. Our goal is to um, map out and plan out all the way through 2023 for our church. And so if you would, please, um, sometime tomorrow and Tuesday when you think of it, would you just like make a note right now to, to pray for us as a staff and um, pray that we hear from God and still love each other when we come back and all those, all those great things. Uh, I think it's gonna be a great time, all right? Last weekend was Father's Day and I wanna, we don't always do this, but um, uh, the team felt like this was appropriate to, to just kinda mention some dads. They may not be in the room this service all together. Uh, they may be split between the two services, but we had some dads last weekend that, um, um, just really were a blessing to our kids in our children's area. They served in the kids' area on Father's Day, and so I just wanted us to take like a few seconds and honor them, recognize them, and celebrate them. Uh, Steve Mitchum, Jake Pennington, Ganell Maramie, Tyler, and Larry Hill all served our kids last weekend in some way, and I just think we should, I just think we should honor them. I think it'd be a great thing to do. Yeah, um, so it's time to finish this series. Uh, we've ended this series with um, nine ways in which we connect with God, and we've covered three. I'm gonna cover three today in the 9 a.m., and then three again in the 11 a.m. Um, during this service, I'm gonna cover the three pathways of action. So if you're taking notes, I want to get after this um, this morning, and really the goal of this whole series is to help you to have a better relationship with God and to um, correct the myth that there's like only a couple ways to do that. In, in my upbringing, the, the way that was championed, and I told you this a few weeks ago, was a quiet time with God. Well, uh, that might work for you, or it might not. If it works for you, great, but if you end up being uh, feeling a sense of guilt and shame because quiet time doesn't work for you, I said forget about it, and look at which way in which you connect with God, and we've offered three, I'm gonna offer three more today, the pathways of action. Now, I did this on purpose and selected the 9 a.m. for these three areas because as a general rule, our church is kind of two different churches in one sense. Um, it's interesting to me how as a general rule, certain temperaments and styles gravitate toward certain service times. And it's been this way for years. 
Uh, years ago, before we moved into this building, we ended up having four services. Before that, we had three, and there was a later service. There was like a, a noon and a noon 30 service, depending on which season of our church, and the noon service was absolutely wild. Anybody, anybody been here long enough or was ever in a, how many of you were ever in a noon or noon 30 service? Oh, a handful of you. I got, um, I got cussed at one time in the noon service. But it was awesome because it was like their expression of amen. They didn't know any better and they blurted out from the back, that's some good blank, pastor. And I was like, I'm in the right place, people. I'm in the right. <laughs> Why would I say that? Not because I'm condoning that, but a church that's reaching new people that are far from God, they don't know the rules. They don't know the lingo. They don't know the language. They're just living out their relationship with God the way it is for them in that moment. And the hard work of discipleship and training comes in when you spot those kinds of things, right? And so, so our, church is, our church is very, um, very predictable to me. Our 9 a.m. is very much pathway of action people, all right? So you're probably going to see your pathway in these three areas. The first one, and I'll put it on screen for you, is the caregiver. And the caregiver simply says, let me care. That's a lot of you today. And you'll see as I break it down. The second one is the activist. And the activist says, let me conquer, or let me win, let me overcome. The third one is the enthusiast, and this one is, let me celebrate. God wants all of us and all of our worship according to the way that he made us. And I just wanna draw your attention to this reminder. We're not undoing any foundation that we've already set. We're building on top of an already established foundation of a church. So I'm not undoing doctrine and theology from the past. I'm giving you more equipment to add to your worship and your connection with God. Our main verse has been 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, which says this. Give to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And we've looked at this over and over, and this is a way for us to give God the glory that's due his name, to give him our expression of worship the way he's designed you. Um, so in the next service, I'm gonna talk about uh, the, the, the pathways of contemplation. And one of the pathways of contemplation is the, is the intellectual. And the intellectual, if this, is your, if this is your pathway, during worship and during prayer and in that moment when we're endeavoring to reach our heart out to the spirit, you're getting a little bit disconnected thinking, okay, I need some facts and figures here, it's time to move on. And the reason I mention that to you is each of your connection points can be perceived by those around you who are spiritually attuned. So watch about disconnecting in moments that aren't your moment, why? Because these pathways are about your individual worship. When we come together collectively for worship, no one style is meant to dominate the environment. No one pathway is meant to absorb the whole room. This is where we get one shot at worshiping together. Jesus in Mark chapter 12, I won't read it, the whole thing for the sake of time, but he talks about what I'll call whole person worship. 
your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and these things can't be delegated. Your heart is your adoration, your soul is your will and your desires, your mind is your belief, and your strength is your physical body, right? So caregivers. Caregivers, they love God by loving others. For caregivers, acts of mercy and care are very practical. You're very practical in nature. You want to show your love for God by showing love to others in a very practical way. Caregivers, they probably will hear God more clearly when they're caring for someone, bringing them a meal, we'll look at these things, caring for them in some practical way, rather than in a quiet time of prayer. And listen, that's perfectly okay, and it's better than okay. It's the way God made you. So they connect with God through their care of others and they worship God by providing and helping those who are unable to help for themselves. For caregivers, the expression of worship and giving is not a chore, it's an act of worship. It's something to be entered into wholeheartedly and with a heart full of anticipation when it comes to a giving opportunity or a serving opportunity, they're not sitting there thinking, oh man, there they go again, asking for help. They're like, man, I can't wait to be able to give someone care. You, you didn't realize that the pastor can normally pick up on when the church is feeling, oh, we gotta do that again. No, we don't have to do anything, ladies and gentlemen. We get to build the kingdom of God for his glory. That's what we get to do. You don't have to do anything. Some Bible examples are, are Mordecai. Without Mordecai, many of you probably heard the story of, of Esther, but Esther probably would not have been queen had it not been for Mordecai. In fact, um, the entire uh, nation of the Jewish people could have possibly been wiped off the face of the earth under King Xerxes because of Haman's plot to destroy them, but Mordecai's caregiving rescued an entire, entire nation. Many of you will recall another Bible example, which is the Good Samaritan, seeing the individual lying in the road, and it's an interesting passage, go back and, and read it, that the two religious leaders come, come across the injured person's path and they turn their head, cross the other side of the road and don't help. And Jesus highlights that a good Samaritan, a person that the Jewish people kind of had racial tension with, came to the rescue. So the religious leader who was lifted up and exalted in the Jewish culture actually became the, 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 person that was looked at as the non-example of how we should behave. And the Good Samaritan was the one who was the hero of the story. You'll remember as another example, Martha. Remember Mary and Martha. Mary's at Jesus' feet and Martha's up in serving. And I've said to you before and I wanna say to you again, churches don't need just Mary's. We need Mary's and Martha's. In fact, this service doesn't happen unless a whole bunch of Martha's step up to the plate. And so we need to be a church of both. And it bothers me that Martha has been given a bad rap over church history. She was the one making some things happen. Obviously, a Bible example that is very easy to spot is Jesus. You can see all these ways that we connect with God in the life and ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 14, 14, 
The Bible says this, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Jesus cared first for the needs of others before he ever cared for his own needs. So, five ways that the caregiver worships. Number one is service, offering resource, time, treasure. Watch this one. Influence. If you're a caregiver, one of the ways you can serve God is by influencing people in a proper way. It's interesting to me that I I say this because oftentimes caregivers, I've watched over nearly 18 years of, of leading people, caregivers will ratchet back their influence. They'll They'll not exert positive influence strongly because many caregivers often have some type of belief system that says it's wrong to exert influence. No, it isn't wrong to exert influence. It's wrong to manipulate. The difference between influence and manipulation is influence is for their highest and best. Manipulation is for your highest and best. And so we don't, we're, not, we're not supposed to manipulate, but God gave us the gift of influence for a reason, to use it. To use it to move people closer to God rather than not use it at all. In fact, the error is to be given influence and to not express that influence in a positive way. I've been given at times a gift of influence to help people. Wouldn't it be wrong for me to have a gift of service and influence and stay quiet and it cause you harm and trouble? That'd be wrong, wouldn't it? If I, if I know that there's something you can avoid and I can verbalize it and help you miss it, maybe with my kids, what if I see my kids getting ready to make a mistake? What if I say, well, well, I, I, you know, I, I, just, I just don't wanna use my influence. What would you think of me as a dad? if I kept quiet and didn't speak up if they were getting ready to engage in destructive behavior? What would, you, what would you think of a person who has influence and doesn't use it? You'd be like, man, I wish I had that kind of influence. Well, each of us in the degrees that we have influence should use it to serve others. These expressions and uses of influence include things like gifts of mercy and help, using the influence to better the lives of others, using your gifts to build the kingdom of God, not just a shed for a widow in need. Using that gift to build the kingdom of God, doing service projects, serving the homeless, adopting a prisoner, helping a friend through personal crisis, lending money, helping somebody battle substance abuse, helping an illiterate person learn to read, donating time to a battered woman's shelter, counseling at a pregnancy care facility, working in a soup kitchen, fixing someone's car, repairing a home, helping somebody configure their computer system, watching the children of some tired, exhausted parents, and the list goes on and on of ways in which we can serve those around us. The second expression is hospitality. Y'all doing okay? Am I moving too fast? Okay, good, let's keep on going. Hospitality. I know some people in our church, many have this. And I'm gonna say, uh, let me say it now. I believe the reason God has sent our church so many caregivers of these practical things, service, practical ways of, of helping others, hospitality, 
are because I and others in our leadership team don't have them. I believe that over the years, that's why God has given our church so many people who have this pathway to connect with God. Now, you might be, you might be thinking in your brain, wait a minute, pastor, caregiver, they go together, together like bread and butter, peanut butter, jelly, peas, carrots, Jenny and Forrest. No, what you've confused is a job description with a calling. Most people look at a role of calling as something that you say, oh, my gifts, talents, and abilities line up with this, and so I'm going to choose it. No, 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 no. God set me in a trajectory, and you as well, at times, where your gifts, talents, and abilities don't meet the need because he's wanting to force you into a place where you need to do life with other people because we are the body of Christ, not just the arm or the feet or the hands of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Does that make sense to you? In, in, other, words, in other words, what I wanna say to you is most people choose a career based on giftedness and skill set, but one doesn't choose a calling based on skill set or education, a career you yield and submit to and say yes to, a career you choose. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Um, does it make sense? Yeah? In other words, I didn't choose to be a pastor because I'm a good caregiver. This isn't a vocation choice. I said yes to a calling because I felt a deep leading to help people be the best that they could be in God. And so when, when you have, when you have, um, when you have um, deficiencies and voids, God surrounds you with the people that will make up that difference. Hospitality. Hospitality creates a safe, open space where a friend or stranger can enter and experience the welcoming spirit of Christ in their home or in a certain place. You do this by sharing your home, food, resources, car with others. I know people, many people in our church, this is you. You're hospitable. You reach out to and receive the stranger or enemy with hope that he or she might be transformed into a lifelong friend. You love the guest, you don't just entertain them. You welcome others into your circle and hate the idea of cliques and groups and clubs. You're apt to spontaneously invite others for meals. Depending on your temperament, you may go through great lengths to uh, schedule this and have a menu and be prepared rather than just uh, spontaneously invite people to your home and then your spouse say, but we don't have any groceries. <laughs> Mentoring is the third expression. To accompany and encourage others to grow in their God-given potential it includes guidance and encouragement modeling um, 
training that equips another to better use their gifts, building authentic relationships that provide support, encouragement, and help in a specific area, providing or receiving influence, instruction, training, and perspective. Let me give you on this one four temptations of the caregiver. Number one is judging. Remember Mary and Martha, we've looked at that a handful of times where we've judged Martha and Martha, Martha's and Mary's are interesting people. They judge one another. And caregivers, I wanna encourage you, if this, is, if this is your pathway, be aware that it is very easy to look down on others who are not offering some type of practical help that involves manual labor. Caregivers elevate manual labor above almost anything, and they devalue rest. They just run, they run the candle at both ends, and it's go, 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 go. And those who value rest end up getting judged by the ones who don't maybe need it as much. You might be the person that operates on four hours and 36 minutes of sleep every night, and you can't understand how a person might need six or eight hours of sleep. You may be asleep before it's dark and awake before it's light and have a tendency to judge someone who isn't up as early as you are. This is a tendency that you have to watch. Why am I mentioning it? Because it can actually tear down relationships in a way that you don't realize. It can, it can be the feeling of self-righteousness and judgmental attitude. It has, a, it has a stench of an air of superiority that just turns people off. I'm preaching really good this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you right now, I'm lying it, lying it down. Rather than judging, live by example and demonstrate how the love of God motivates you and seek to understand how the love of God motivates others so they can be everything they're designed to be. Temptation number two is serving ourselves by serving others. And what do I mean by that? Christ calls us to serve not to make ourselves feel good, but to show love to others. It's okay to feel good when you serve, but if you only serve when it feels good, you will miss out on a very uh, uh, vital part of the Christian life, which is sacrifice. Sometimes when you serve and get involved, it doesn't feel good. It's, a, it's an inconvenience. It is, it is something that you didn't plan for or predict, and so you have to be careful about that. Number three, temptation of a caregiver is to hold narrow definitions. You'll See this, if you listen to the next part of this, activists and caregivers, they, they, do things, they do things differently in terms of serving. So rather than holding a narrow definition of what care is, be willing to see care, watch this, as speaking out for those in need rather than only helping those who are struggling in the moment. Man, I wanna say something so bad about current events right now. I appreciate it. There was a recent Supreme Court 
Oh, man, I'm treading maybe where wisdom shouldn't allow, but let's go there anyway. There was a recent Supreme Court ruling that everyone who has been awake for the last 48 hours is aware of. Never come to the point where you believe that just because a law turns out the way you want it to or maybe doesn't, that the job is done. There is a lot of work to be done in this nation and the work has only just begun to fight for those who are struggling in a lot of areas of life. So never get to the place where you just see a person struggling in this moment, no longer struggling, and believe that the job is done. The job is not done, the job is just beginning, okay? I know some of you wanted me to go further than that, but I'm not a pol political guy and I've never done that stuff from the pulpit and I'm not going to today and if that upsets you, then this isn't the best place for you and I'm okay with that. Neglecting the fourth, the fourth temptation is this, neglecting those closest to us. You want me to say a little bit more about what I just said, I think. This pastor is not a politician. He's called by God to proclaim the word of God and give God the glory due his name and understands that you cannot, you cannot mandate righteousness through laws. That the righteousness that comes from God comes only from a transformed heart and a transformed life. It doesn't matter what you put on a piece of paper. It's what, it, what matters is what God writes on your heart that provokes change. I, I know I just divided the room in that moment. I feel it, but that's okay. Neglecting those closest to us. Y'all doing okay? All right, okay? I know I'm doing good. I was asking how you're doing. <laughs> Number four, neglecting those closest to us. Um, this is simple. It's, it's the mechanic who makes sure, makes sure everyone else's car is running and his spouse or her spouse takes an Uber everywhere they go. Key phrase, let me care. I gotta move. The second one is the activists. They love God through confrontation. <laughs> love God through confrontation. Activists love God by standing up for righteousness and justice. Activists need to find the right balance. Instead, um, watching the model of Jesus is the best move for them. Activism can take the form of Christian activism, social reform, or to confront error and evil. Um, some expressions or Bible examples of this would be Moses. Um, Moses had a confrontation with the Egyptian early in his life, killed him. Moses had a confrontation with unruly shepherds and speaks strongly about that. Moses has a confrontation against Pharaoh. You remember that moment? Charlton Heston said, let my people go. Remember that? That's, a, that's an activist in action. Elijah and Elisha, the confrontation with Ahab when they, when they go against the prophets of Baal. Habakkuk, Bible examples of activism. Here is how an activist expresses their worship. It's by seeking justice. They want justice at all costs. And justice seeks to help others through correcting and redressing wrongs. It treats others fairly and shows no favoritism. It includes things like this, being responsible to God and to others, being a good steward of what you have, supporting just causes with time, action, and financial support. 
treating others impartially and fairly, providing for the needy and the oppressed through any means you have available to you, volunteering for a food bank and, or ministries that serve needs in the community, refusing to, watch this one, refusing to buy products of companies that take advantage of certain people groups. This could be an expression of activism. Intercession. Number three, work on social reform. Four, spiritual risk-taking. Five, writing. Here are some temptations of the activist. Number one is twofold, strong ambition. And the second one is a bit awkward, but you need to hear it. Ambition and sex. The person who has this bent is so ambitious it feeds into other areas of their life including their need for physical gratification. It's a temptation. Um, don't be upset when I say this, but do the research. An activist that probably all of you can recall in your mind, great man in history, Martin Luther King Jr., ambition, but also if you look into his past, he had a lot of affinity for women. You can look at this through David in the, in the Bible, um, who was definitely an activist, and we've used him before, had issues with Bathsheba. It's a good point to remind you or to make the statement, maybe for the first time you're hearing it, that you can have multiple different pathways in which you connect with. And as you mature, you may be able to find yourself in multiple ways in which you connect with God. And temptation, elitism, and resentment. Temptation, preoccupation with activity and statistics. Temptation, lack of emphasis on personal sanctification or purity. The key phrase, again for the activist, is let me conquer. The third one is the enthusiast who says this. I wanna love God with mystery and celebration. Enthusiasts enjoy a celebratory form of worship as well as have a drawing and a connection to faith and the supernatural power of God. Enthusiast wants to see God move in a great big outward expression of action, a working of miracles, a, healing signs and wonders, that sort of, of longing in their heart. They are drawn to myster, the mystery of faith, and they understand that there are certain things about God and Christianity that we just simply can't fully understand in this life. They're open to the spiritual world and believe in a God who is powerful and demonstrates his power. Some Bible examples, one of the expressions you'll see in scripture is um, a person who is an enthusiast, is often a dreamer, has dreams, interprets those dreams. Joseph, Jacob, Daniel, not that Daniel, but the Daniel in the lion's den. Ananias in the New Testament. If this is you, write those individuals' names down and do a study on each of them and watch how their connection with God played itself out. 
some expressions of worship or celebration. Celebration is the way of engaging in acts that orient the spirit toward worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Pursuing activities that bring the heart deep gladness and reveling in them before the Lord. Spending time with others. Worshiping, laughing, listening to music, dancing. The second form is very interesting that I would encourage all of us to, to pursue. And it's what I'll call conversational prayer. Conversational prayer is just talking naturally without any residue of self-consciousness to God. Just speaking with him in natural language. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a moment where someone's been leading a prayer meeting and they're very eloquent and they're very polished and they're very maybe even King James form of praying. I, I've been in rooms where people, they like go, they like, they're talking to me normally and then we start praying and then there's lots of these and thous and thuses and I'm like, I don't get that. Like we're the same people. Like all of a sudden, like God only speaks King James all of a sudden in this person's mind. And I don't mean to poke fun, but what I do mean to do is to highlight something that often is a barrier to people because people will often think, well, if I don't pray like that, then I'm not really doing it right because it sounds formal, it, it, it sounds polished, it sounds reverent, it sounds holy, and me just saying, hey, God, help. Life sucks right now. And if you're bothered that I've said that, don't be bothered by it. Know that God already knows you feel that way and just offer it to him in whatever language matters and makes the most sense to you because God is not bothered by any words you may be able to use. What he's looking for is a heart that is desperate and hungry and wants to go after him with authentic vibrancy no matter what the, the current situation. There were all of my enthusiasts in the room. That, they, they, they lead the clapping, and I appreciate them. Are you, are you, are you, all, are you all following me today? You see, I, um, worship happens whenever we intentionally cherish God and value him above everything else in life. Like during the worship service. Now, we all should worship, right? We all should worship. Let's make that very clear. But the enthusiasts are the ones that help the worship team worship back. They're the ones that the team likes to see. And if at some point you see the worship team staring at you intently, it's probably because you're the only person in the room giving them anything back. We're all my worship team people when I said that. Yeah. Why? Because there is, a, there is a camaraderie that happens when, when, when there's a response. Um, those who are this connection pathway, they believe that we are to worship God with our whole body, with every part of our being, that God deserves everything and that God should be worthy of overcoming your fear of what other people will think if you lift a hand or two to him or heaven 
explode if you just kind of sway a, a little bit and, and get into the moment of worship because this pathway believes God deserves everything that we are. Everything that we are. And so an expression of this is focusing on responding to God with your entire being. Listen to this. The enthusiast believes that they are to offer their body as an offering. Remember the text that talks about that we are to offer ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God. Do you know what the challenge is with a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice has a tendency to want to crawl off of the altar of obedience. But that's what the enthusiast approaches God with the belief that their entire body is a spiritual act of worship, seeking the kingdom of God first and keeping secondary things second. Let me give you the temptations and then we're gonna go about, you're gonna go about your day and I'm gonna chill before I do this again in a different way. And if you want to be here for the second one and be really wild, that would be amazing. Nobody will take me up on that offer, but I thought I'd offer it anyway. <laughs> Temptations. You ready? Seeking experience for experience's sake. Being overly independent. Number three equating good feelings with good worship. This is a danger, because what about the days when you don't feel like it? What about the days when it doesn't feel good? Does that mean the worship wasn't good? No, it just means that your feeling was contrary to your expression of worship that day, and your feelings don't necessarily make your worship good or bad. That's why you can, you can come to God's house and you can be in a bad mood and still give good worship because worship isn't just based on an emotion, it's based on your heart. It's an expression that says, in, and, I, and honestly, I would submit to you that there are times where you could come here with a bad attitude and decide, I'm going to make a choice to let God be bigger than my bad attitude, and I think God is really, really pleased with that approach in that heart. Where you just say, you know what? I don't, I'm not feeling it today. I'm annoyed. I don't know why they're doing that. They're singing too loud and they're singing off key. And you just say, I'm gonna do it anyway. And you bring your attitude under the subjection of Christ, and you let Jesus be bigger than your bad attitude. Don't look at me like you can't have a bad attitude. We all have bad attitudes from time to time. How many of y'all know somebody who's ever had a bad attitude? How many, of you, how many of you would know that person's sitting in your seat right now? Come on. Right? Bad attitudes. Some of you have one right now. That's your call. Totally okay. Unless it keeps you from giving God your all, then it's not. Then you know what it becomes? Listen to me very carefully. Do you know what a bad attitude becomes if you let it linger? Spiritual pride, which says, 
how I feel is more important to me than who God is. And so what you've done is you set yourself up as a little God and a little altar to your pride and your ego. And God hates that stuff. How do I know? Because he's had to work it out in me from time to time. And you know what? He's gonna have to work it out in me in the future. Because I'm not completely there yet. And none of us are. I'm completely out of time. The key phrase is, well, let me say this first. Feelings come and go, don't depend on them. Your feelings are a bad place to build your home. They come and go, don't depend on them. Key phrase, let me celebrate. This is my best to help you take some steps with some boldness and with some clarity today, some focus on how you can connect with God. I'll cover three more in the 11 a.m. And I've been assured by our media team that that message will be up uh, by this evening. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll be able to catch the last three uh, the, if you like, that you missed. And if, if I covered yours today, I would recommend that you, you listen to this over and over, that you look at these Bible characters that I gave you as examples, and as you can see, for the sake of time, because I'm out of time, I couldn't go in depth into each of those individual characters. There's way more there. Look at those characters. Find those connection points, and make it a point that you are going to connect with God in a more deep and meaningful way. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with how you've been doing it, but this is spiritual growth. This is how we develop our lives. So, so grow, make it a point, say, I'm gonna grow in this area. Would you, all, would you all say that out loud with me? Say, I'm gonna grow in this area. I don't have it all figured out. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And I'm gonna check my bad attitude at times. I lost most of you on the last part, but that's all right, I don't mind. Love you guys. I did my best today to just lay some things out that I believe uh, will help you and um, make your journey with God full of joy and peace and hope and strength.